one of the chief major questions of all time for all of mankind should be and is in a lot of cases is what happens after we die. So what do you think about afterlife? That's a real good question, isn't it? Because we're only here for a few decades, right? Really short time. They seem long to a lot of people, but really to eternity, (laughs) it's really nothing. People believe all sorts of things about afterlife. And you know, God put it into mankind's heart to actually think about these things, to think about an afterlife. He has put eternity into their hearts, hasn't He? So whether you're a Christian or not Christian, pagan, whatever one wants to call themselves, atheist, they still have to deal with the question of, yeah, what happens when I die? You know, a lot of people give it a lot of thought. And well, they should, right? Definitely, it's one of the most important matters. Matter of fact, what's more important? It, you know, some people can think, think on it, and use humanly thinking, and they'll get a human answer. But if you think of it, Through God's Word, you get a godly answer. So, a lot of people would rather not think on it all because it really won't happen, right? If I don't think about it, it won't happen. It's okay. How many times would we like to say that on a lot of things? But, you know, there's an inevitable situation here for mankind, and we know that death is a well-established fact, and it's 100%, is it not? One out of one will die. That's why since the time of man, man has had a keen interest on it and offers different ideas of what happens after we die. Theist, that's people who believe in God, or at least a God, They believe in some kind of afterlife that awaits people and, you know, God has some kind of charge of it. Theists do. Members of the non-theistic groups still tend to believe in afterlife in some way, but it has no reference to deity, no God. They're atheists. They they can't have God involved in this, can they? Even though they want to call it maybe heaven or something like that. Uh, Many religions, whether they believe in the soul's existence in another world, like what Christianity would, or even like Islam would believe, that there is another world, or even some pagan belief systems have another world that we go to. Besides that other world, some believe in reincarnation, like many forms of Hinduism, Buddhism. They believe that one's status 
in the afterlife is a reward of what you've done here. And there's a punishment for the conduct during life. Now that would be amongst some of the theist groups and some non-theism groups. Buddhism, Taoism, and Hinduism, and on and on with the Eastern religions really don't really have another world in that sense. But it's still based upon what they've done in life. So there's uh, an alternative to resurrection, which would be reincarnation, which is a cycle of death and rebirth. And that's called samsara. They want to break the cycle of death and rebirth. It's called nirvana. That's what their idea is. This is not like the heaven that we think of. Nirvana really means an existence of nothingness is what it really comes down to. it. No pain, no sorrow, anything like that. It would bring an end to the suffering that we have. So even different religions will say, yes, we have a suffering world. Would most people say that? Of course, a lot of people raise it to, uh, to Christianity or at least say, well, how can there be a God if there's suffering? Well, there's, sti- there's suffering going on to the atheist without a God. It's still there. What's your answer to that? They don't have it, do they? Well, that's reincarnation. That's an alternative to the resurrection. There's another one called Nothing Happens. <laughs> Nothing happens after we die. Death is the last chapter in your life. No matter how short it is and how meaningless it is, this has just been a random life that we've had, if they want to call it life. So life, death, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. There's nothing on the beyond And no wonder that atheists and some of the greatest writers that we've had in our history have taken that view and then they get to their deathbed philosophers of of the ages and then they come so sadly to the fact that this is all there is and then they start thinking, what if there really is a God and there is a heaven and a hell? And it's sad to hear as they dwindle away on their deathbed some of those stories and you know Ernest Hemingways and some of those people, you know, some of the leading thinkers and great minds still don't know about afterlife. In this case it would be nothing happens. We're really small anyway. You know what that means to me? We are not important at all. Now we just sang that song, Good, Good Father, and we're loved by Him, right? We are important to Him. But to them, what is there as far as a reason to even live? And so that's why when you talk about abortion, why they want to put that forth. There's many reasons. 
But life doesn't mean anything to them. And then you go all the way to the grave or people that start getting older and they're a menace to society. Some societies say it's okay to take them out because they are a drain to society as far as the economy is concerned. It's why they think the way that they think. It's thinking without God. Thinking out with God's truth. So the third one is, there's eternal pleasure or pain based on our performance, which is really works, right? Islam teaches that there is an eternal life in paradise, and there is an eternal death in hell. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Kind of close to what we believe, but so far away. It's based upon their performance to get there. And, of course, they will reach the ultimate where men will get 70 virgins. And that's eternity. God has a much better plan than that. That wouldn't be fair to women, would it? One man having 70 wives or virgins. Anyway, there's a fourth one, and it's the uncertain. It's about guessing. Others are uncertain what happens after death. You probably have met a lot of these people. I don't know. Don't you care? No, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody really knows. I'm sure something happens, but I don't care. That's sad, isn't it? That's really sad. Have you ever talked to anybody that way? That believe that way? I'm sure you have. Many of them. Mary Baker <laughs> Eddy would be in that sense of uncertain, but she said, yeah, there is no heaven, no hell. But there's a consciousness. A consciousness that you have. It's a high state of consciousness. If you've been a good person and you've loved well, and for the people that didn't, it's called a suffering love. And because there's love, they will be purified and they'll go into an eternal consciousness, which is what everyone has to look forward to. No resurrected body, just some kind of a consciousness. What is that? Mindlessness. <laughs> yeah. The Egyptians, oh, they believed in a resurrection. They had the Egyptian book of the dead. They took death seriously and afterlife seriously. They believed that in life there, there is a death and then the most ancient times of human history say they come back to life. That's why they would preserve them. And we know that Egypt is famous for that. Preserve their bodies for thousands of years. You know, an archaeologist uncovered the tomb of Pharaoh Cheops, 5,000 years ago, was put in this tomb, and it there was like the, you know, and how they're preserved. There was a solar boat that this man had, which he built to sail through the heavens in the afterlife. Of course, that's what the idea is, is that when you come, it's like you'll be the same, you know, and you'll need that body again. The Greek religion 
would place a silver coin into the mouth of a corpse to pay his fare across the river Styx. You remember the group Styx? I liked that group back in the 70s. It was about the river of death. I go back on a lot of those songs back there, and if they're not believers, you know what they're writing about? Just absolute foolishness. Look at the lyrics of some of those songs that we hail that are so great, but you can still use them and say, okay, that unbeliever wrote that. I see what they're saying. And there's, there's some good in it because the vestige of God and His way is still kind of there. God put eternity in people's hearts. But you see a lot of negativism. There were a lot of demonic groups back then. The Uriah Heaps and Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. You go on and on. You see what they really believed. You know, I played all of those songs. And I sang some of them. And I was one of those that said, Oh, I don't listen to the words. Well, you bet I didn't. I didn't care about what the words were. But you know, it's funny, after I became really uh, hunting the Word of God out, all of a sudden all those things really just stuck out. I go, my goodness, I was singing that? It's embarrassing. What am I saying here? Well, even a group like Sticks or some of the other groups that have those names, they're just taking on some half-truths, but they don't have the answer, see? They would like to give us all hope, but they're offering what? Death. How about the death metal? That was a big thing back in the 80s and, and the 90s. and still goes on in a lot of ways. It's like death rap, you know. Well, the American Indians, I'm just showing you how cultures influence people's thinking. The American Indians often placed within the grave of the dead the warrior who died, and if he had a dead pony, they would put that in with him. Why would they do that with the bow and the arrows? So, whenever they would come back to life, they would be ready for the happy hunting ground. They're just going to do what they did before. The horse, the bows, the arrows. And then there are the Norsemen. The Norsemen were buried with the dead horse and armor to be able to carry so on the next life they would be ready to be warriors in the next world to come. Just like they were before. You you think of the, uh, the different gods that they have. You know, and a lot of... Uh, movies that come out and you know it's it's life coming back after they have died see everybody has that idea whether they are unbelievers or not they still have this kind of thing it's driving them god put eternity into their hearts they just need truth about it. in greenland Dead native children are buried with a dog to guide them through the cold wasteland that is to come. That's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? There their dogs resurrect and they resurrect and there they are in the back in the 30 degree below weather with the snow. You guys are tired of that, aren't you? <laughs> My, what do they have to look forward to? That's the next life? Is that as good as they can get? Are you kidding me? They have no other thoughts unless they have truth. 
humanity has always felt the pull of afterlife. Benjamin Franklin, not a Christian, but he was a deist. He did have a belief in a God and an afterlife. It's very close to what a Christian is. He believed in life after death and he wrote an epitaph to be put on his tombstone. It's still there today. Here's what he said. You want to hear it? What did he say? It's kind of humorous in a way. The body of Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, lies here, food for worms. Its content torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, but the work shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. That's close, isn't he? Whether you're in a primitive ancient culture or you're into the modern culture, it beats in the human heart to believe in the afterlife. It's only natural, isn't it? You have to almost try not to believe there's anything, really. Suppress it, right? How about the Jews? Well, you know, we've heard of Judeo-Christian values. The Jews believed in a resurrection. They believed in their scriptures. Now, they did have other writings, and that's where they started getting into a little trouble. Uh, Traditions of the elders, right? When you start writing, thinking, speaking on your own, and not based upon anything that would be some kind of truth, and I don't say it's wrong to write novels and fiction at all, you know, but those are still based upon, well, you know, truth. We're not going to put something out or some kind, you know, like Lord of the Rings or something. There's really, you know, where, where can you go back and find those places? Well, there are actually names that actually existed. Some of them were different. But what was it about? It was about good and evil, right? And what do we always want? We want good to win out, don't we? Unless the bad guy is a good guy. And then you want the evil to win. What am I I laugh, but I'm saying, isn't it interesting that the Jews would have the traditions of their elders and then they would write extra biblical things and they would get into weird stuff that wasn't true. It was kind of resurrection, but it was something else. Things that weren't in the Bible. Now, there were some dissenters that were far more worse than them. This group was called the Sadducees. And they actually took a view totally different than any other Jew would have. And they are introduced into our section today. And in the Gospel of Luke, Sadducees are introduced. That's the very topic that was the matter of discussion. As they are bringing up a question now to the resurrection and life. Dealing with resurrection, which they don't believe in. Let's take up our scriptures and let's look at it. And let's look at real truth. As Jesus speaks out here. 
Now, there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. And they question him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife and is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless, and the second and the third married her, and in the same way all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where it calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to Him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they did not have courage to question Him any longer about anything. Let's pray. Father, Your Word speaks. When it comes to great matters such as the resurrection, we have it there before us. Jesus Himself talking about it, and He is the resurrection Help us be encouraged because of this great doctrine of the Christian faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Uh, We have been discussing frequently during the Passion Week of Christ. Jesus is in Jerusalem and He's at the temple and He would be in the court of the Gentiles where you have the uh, the colonnades there, the pillars. Incredible place it was. He's teaching. They question Him one after another and then He gives them truth They're silenced and then they come back. Another group does and questions him thinking we got him now. They're there to make him look like a fool. They're there to stump him and really they're there with that question that he's not supposed to answer because then they can arrest him if he says the wrong thing and then crucify him. That's the whole motive, no doubt about it. The Sadducees' approach is to discredit him in front of the people And they are going to give the very best shot that they can. They've practiced this question. And every time they've asked it, they have not been able to get an answer. So they're going to give it to Jesus. 
They're going to say, let's make him look stupid. Let's make him look foolish about the resurrection because it doesn't exist. Well, you see, that's why they're called sad, you see. Sorry about using that. I've used that before. Everybody will always talk about that when they speak of the resurrections. Uh, resurrection, I'm sorry. Sadducees are a group, a political group, a religious group. Um, you see, we have not really seen them in Luke. Uh, you don't see them up in Galilee where Jesus spent most of His ministry. Then He comes down to Judea and you don't really see the Sadducees there. You will see them in Jerusalem. You will see them where? At the temple. Because see, this is theirs. This is where they sell all the animals and convert the change and take advantage of all the people. See, this is the temple proper. The men could go in this area, but all around in here, I'm going, looking up there, thinking it's going to pick up my finger, but all around in here are the colonnades that go all the way around, and the Gentiles can come in there. And there's, finally, you get into this area, and you get where the Jewish men are, and then there's only the priests go further, and you see the big building there, that's the... Holy of Holies, and ultimately all the high priests could go into the Holy of Holies, and that just once a year. So getting that kind of idea, that's where he's at every day. He's teaching, he's answering questions, and he's showing those questions that they have an answer, but not what they expect. So uh, they're charge of the temple. What has Jesus just done when He entered the city? He cleared it out. Who runs all this? Who's making the money out of this? Sadducees. Who are the high priests? Who are the supreme court? Sadducees made up the supreme court. That's who they are. The Sanhedrin is what the Supreme Court is called. They have seats of power, seats of influence. And I will tell you something else. There's not that many of them. But they have the power, they have the money, they have the influence. That's all they need. And what has Jesus just done to this place? He's made us a shambles. He's in their teaching. They don't have their stuff in there now. They don't have that income coming in. Do you know what? In a few days, Jesus is going to be the resurrection. They ask Him the perfect question. Because that's what He came here to do. To die and to raise. (coughs) And so they come up with this question which is designed automatically to put Him away. These guys have got it together. These are the affluent people They are the aristocracy people. They are the Hellenization. That means to make Jews like Gentiles. Um, They did follow the law of Moses, which is what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the five books 
or the Pentateuch, or the book of the law, that's Moses. The rest of the books, which is poetry and history, prophecy, they did not accept into their canon. You see, I've always called them the liberals because they don't believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in angels, demons, spirits, or miracles. Anything supernatural they didn't believe in. So that's why I have always called them liberals. And so I will call them liberals because liberal Christianity uh, doesn't believe in miracles and resurrection and some of the vital points of the faith that you cannot uh, differ on. There's some that it cannot be caved in on. Resurrection is certainly that. It's the focus point. They um, believe in the law of Moses though, not the rest of the books. And so in that sense, they are conservative fundamentalists in that they believe in the book of the law and all the other books and the, and the traditions of the elders. Remember that? That would be the Pharisees. They, they were big in traditions. And you know about churches that have traditions. It's the Word of God and God's Word alone. That's what they would say. And of course, Pharisees would say that too, but then they would have the other books that would be kind of parallel with the Scriptures, which later did become parallel with it, or even, even further. They didn't believe in angels, demons, miracles, resurrection, they're, they're not even looking for a future Messiah. And you say, what's the use? What, what's, what's the deal here? Well, you see, they are people that are close to the Romans. Hellenization, making the people in favor. The Romans would favor them because they go along with them. Even though they believe in the book of the law, they also are kowtowing to the Romans to the pagans there. These guys are the upper class. They are the royalty. They are the philosophy, uh, sophisticated people that they are. Educated to the hilt. You know, sometimes you reach a certain social strata. People reach a high level. And you know what? They stop believing in the things that they used to believe. You ever notice that in politicians? They did believe in life. Now they believe in death for the unborn. And maybe even the ones who are born. Yeah. All of a sudden they don't believe because of their status of where they have risen. And they're elite with all the others so they shed all those basic beliefs they had. They don't believe in the supernatural. Well, Jesus kind of did supernatural things. <laughs> uh, what He did at the temple, was, I think, was an absolute miracle. Had to get away with that and not get carried away. Taken away. right? At the t- they should have arrested Him right there in their thinking. What would happen to them though? <laughs> They decided on a plan that would put him in his place. They really took little interest in religious matters, really. They want to promote the secular interest of themselves and the people. They clashed with the Pharisees constantly. 
Pharisees had the traditions of the elders and the Pharisees absolutely believed in what? The resurrection. Obviously, they believed in the resurrection. So they would go at it constantly. So, the letter of the law, they do believe in these Pharisees, but do you see all the other things? So, we get to this question now. It says, now they came to him, some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. Luke makes sure that uh, the Gentile reader would understand what this political group did not believe in. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They're Jews, but they don't believe in the resurrection. They're Jews and they don't believe in the resurrection? How can that be? Well, we just spent how long? 20 minutes here trying to, you know, hopefully this hasn't been beaten a dead horse. But that's why we have to review that, go there in that area. And so they question him as they get together saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that... and. The question comes. The hypocrisy is definitely involved here. I think it's very apparent, isn't it? It's undeniable what uh, uh, kind of hypocrites they are because they don't believe in a resurrection and Jesus is not going to give them an answer that will change their views. What they were doing is trying to seek or to uh, establish their premise that they have here to get him caught and to show that he's unbiblical and he is impractical. That's really what they're going to do with this question. Because, you see, they're going to say, you can't find the resurrection in the book of the law. Now, you find it real easily in the prophets. In the poetry, David wrote in the Psalms about he, uh, you know, the Holy One would not decay. And many other resurrection sections that we could go to. I don't have enough time here, but do you, do you see why they don't believe in a resurrection? Well, because it's not found in our book, it's not in our Bible. Jesus will have something to say about that, but this is not new to the Pharisees. This question is there, and I'm sure the Pharisees are standing around, standing behind them, and and they come up with that question, they go, oh boy, have we heard this before? (laughs) They're rolling their eyes, oh boy. You know, because they didn't have an answer for it. So they come up with their golden question that's got Jesus. You guys can't do it. Scribes can't do it. Watch this. Teacher, call him teacher, rabbi of highest order. It's like a respect. We'll see how hypocritical they really are. Moses wrote for us in our Bible, Moses and his law, that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he's childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, died childless, the second and the third married her in the same way all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the the woman dies also. He says, now we've gotten to the resurrection. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? (laughs) For the seven that married her. Which one? What's what's she going to choose now? You know, in your so-called resurrection. That's their position that they're taking. They've got this. They think. And like I say, the Pharisees go, oh boy. Well, you see, in 
Deuteronomy 25. And Deuteronomy is found where? In their Bible. So Jesus is going to do what? He's going to quote their Bible, which is His Bible, which that all the Jews accept the law. And the prophets, and the poetry, and the history. In verse 5, he's, you know, this is taken out of this. When brothers live together, they have the same inheritance and such, or the same real estate. And one of them dies as has no son. The wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man, not to somebody else's family. Her husband's brother shall go into her. And that's, by the way, if, if he's not married. We're not talking about him being married and then also taking a second wife. That goes against the grain of what the law is all about. Uh, her husband's brother should go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother. That name will go on. So that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And that's a great part of the law because that name will continue on. And so, uh, definitely, you know, these Sadducees, they, they know the law here. They know what this is about. Um, of course, you think of, of Ruth and uh, Ruth gets a, a, a distant relative or, or of her husband who had died, when she comes back to the land of uh, to the land of Israel, in the book of Ruth, we see that one is going to take care of her and marries her, Boaz, and that would be the start of the lineage of David, which is the lineage, you know, the tribe of Judah, and then on to Messiah. Right? That's a key story there. And anyway, he took the place of her husband had died. And they have a child. And that will be too, in that very same line that God had already prophesied. It doesn't die out. That's why God gave that law. So there we are. Jesus quoting from the very book that they would say it's true. It is truth. And so it's assuring that family and tribe and Israel is going to be perpetual. That's really all they look at as. They don't see Messiah and all that coming and then a future glorious kingdom. They just see that family name goes on. Perpetually. You get it? That's how they saw this. That's how they read it. To us, we're, we're thinking well, this goes much further. Uh, future generations, all the way to Christ. So, it says here, you know, the first husband dies, no son. Second husband dies, no son. Third, same, on and on, all the way to seven. You know what I say? Wow! This is a dangerous lady. By the time it would get to the third one, I might be thinking, let's see, my brother, <laughs> oldest brother died, and my other brother died. Maybe she ought not get remarried. Uh, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> you, you guys, you can think about it. I'm, I'm out of here. 
seriously. I mean, this is a preposterous, absurd, crazy question. Seven? Are you kidding me? Is that is that really legitimate? Well, see, they're trying to do that because they're showing how absurd the resurrection is. Because some people who've been married twice or three times or seven times, who's going to be married when they have it in 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 your heaven? <laughs> see that they got him. Oh. This woman is really fatal. I'm telling you. Well, in I think it's in um, verse 32. Finally, the woman died also. You know what? That's probably a good thing because if she keeps on living, she's going to, some reason, there's going to be more people die. So it's good that she died and just got on out of there too then in this ridiculous story that's being proposed here. Uh, they make this really a bizarre situation. It's a crazy thing. Which wife is she going to be? And you can imagine the smirk on their faces. Smiling after that, huh? Whose wife is she going to be? Who's she going to pick out of her seven husbands now, huh? This is your resurrection. That's the kind of situation you're in here. (laughs) They have no clue, do they? That's where we go to our second point. Can't you just see... Sadducees asking that question. Could you see it? Give us an answer. <laughs> Matthew twenty two twenty nine gives us a little insight here of how serious Jesus takes this question. Twenty two twenty nine. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You are mistaken. You don't understand the Scriptures. Who are these guys? The Sadducees. This is the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body who makes judgments. These are not just the lawyers. These are the judges, the supreme judges of the land in Jerusalem. You don't know the Scriptures. You don't know the power of God. You are mistaken. And in the book of Mark, at the end of this section, I had let's see that's it's in Mark chapter twelve and it starts at eighteen, but I think it's at the end. Yeah, verse twenty seven. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Severely mistaken. So much mistaken that your eternal life is at stake. You have to take this seriously. Greatly mistaken. So Mark and Matthew add a little bit more to what Luke is saying here. Jesus gives the answer. They have two errors here. They're mistaken about, first of all, the two ages 
There's the age now that we're living in, and there is the age to come, which they don't believe in. But since they're proposing, if there really is one, you know, what about this, right? You've had those kind of questions from people, haven't you? And you go, it's it's the kind of the question. Well, is God too great to ever make something that like a, a rock that He can't lift? You, yeah, you're smiling there, Nanda. You guys have always heard that, haven't you? And you go, are you kidding me? We're talking about something seriously, and you come up with that. So, two different ages: the present and the future. Now, see, their kingdom was now. Not in the future. It is now. And so, they're saying, well, it's now and you're in a terrible predicament in your heaven for she would have to choose among them. How can she do that? It's impossible. Jesus' answer is direct. Jesus' answer is devastating. He speaks with truth. The kingdom of God. That future kingdom will be different than the time that we live in now. Amen? It will be different. It will be somewhat like it in that there will be reality. There will be cities. There will be people in the kingdom with bodies. There will be buildings and people will be doing things. It's not some ethereal thing where you have some kind of, what, Mary Baker Eddy, some kind of a consciousness? I mean, what is that? I don't know. You know, that's what they say. I don't know. Well, what's that make them? Agnostic. Which means they don't know or they're ignorant of truth. See, there will be no death in heaven. There will be no marriage in heaven. Now, I know that could be staggering to us. And whenever, you know, I think about that sometimes, I go, you know, Carolyn and I are really close. And she's been a part of my life for, you know, like over 40 years. More than whatever I had whenever I grew up as a kid. I mean, you know, she's like part of me, and we, the two are one. You know, as, as it says, you know, marriage, you know, is, is a key thing. And I'm thinking, wow, you know. But does that mean I won't have a, a, a relationship with her, you know, where we talk and communicate with each other? Is that what we're saying? Oh, I'll be able to see her and talk to her and know her and know all of you guys just much better than now because our relationship now is in so in tune with the triune God. They are perfect in their knowledge and their oneness, aren't they? Three persons, but one God. You're talking about perfect unity? Well, we will enter in to that kind of intimate knowledge with God that we can't even describe here. It'll be so much better. There are a lot of reasons for marriage, but one of them is procreation. If you're in heaven, the number is set. There will be no more born in the eternal state, and there will be none who die. All the elect from the foundation of the world will be set there no more to increase or to decrease for the rest of eternity. Life with God 
No thought of death whatsoever or declining. Or your body getting a little bit weaker. Older. No more tiredness. Yeah. I mean, just go on and on. You start thinking about that and you go, wow, is this kind of like pie in the sky stuff? Well, according to the Word here, which has many proofs, it's what it says is true in every matter. If it has been true in the prophecies that were to come true that have already been shown and have happened, why wouldn't anything else in the future be true too? Amen. Or else we're wasting our time here. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 was written by Paul about the resurrection. The whole chapter is on that, isn't it? And the whole gospel rests upon that resurrection. It's the kingpin of Christianity. If it goes, all across Christianity goes, and as Paul says, brothers, sisters, what are we doing here? We're wasting our time. We're lying to each other. I'm lying to you. You're lying to me. What are we doing here? This is absolutely a waste. But if it's true, it's everything. It sets apart every other religion. The Buddhist. Hindus, Muslims, Sikhism, all the Eastern religion, go on and on. And it sets everything apart because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He proved it. He came back to life. And even a lot of atheists today, and I, you heard me right, a lot of atheists are saying that there was a crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They also say that his disciples claimed that he rose from the dead. Skeptics are now saying these kind of things. And that Paul said that. James said that. And their whole lives changed as they went out purporting this truth. And at the heart of it is Jesus rose from the dead. That's the heart of our gospel. That's what it's about. Now, marriage is for now. It's a great thing. But it's not going to be in heaven. Now, there is that golden age where Jesus rules and reigns with a rod of iron for a millennium where there will be people that will actually have children, those children will be considered infants if they die before they're 100 years old. Isaiah talks about that. So that gives leniency. They say, I thought there were going to be children and you know, and, and what, the, the little child with the, the lion lying down or, or uh, playing with snakes. You say, that, that has never happened before, has it? No. But it will during that kingdom. But that's a thousand year kingdom. People in the glorified bodies though will not marry. And then when we go into the eternal state, there will be nothing but all the elect who have glorified bodies. No death. No pain. No sorrow. No marriage. And so their whole issue is, yeah, yeah, what about the marriage of the, you know, the seven... What? There's no marriage. Where'd you get that at? There's marriage now. 
What, what do you, the, the, the question that they have is absolutely preposterous. It has no bearing whatsoever. Do you see what Jesus has done that nobody else could do? The Pharisees and such? One of the reasons why men will not die in that future age is that their bodies are different. They're like angels. That's where Jesus says here, uh, they, they, they cannot die anymore because they're like angels. Uh, reason he says angels, angels don't die. There have never been any angels that die. Never. Good or bad. They are the same number that's always been there. They don't procreate. It's the same number of angels or demons. Eternal, eternal fire for those bad ones. But because they're like angels, the good angels, in that they don't die. They're spirits. So somebody can say, oh, we're going to be like angels. We're going to be angels. You know, and boy, do you hear that a lot. Oh, that's absolutely crazy. Whenever you hear somebody, well, he turned into an angel. He died and he's an angel now. That is absolutely nothing is found like that in Scripture. But we do have resurrected bodies one day. So you'll be like angels. Not you know, Yeah, we'll be spiritual, but we'll have spiritual bodies. Pneuma, soma, which is pneuma, spirit. Soma, body, means physical body. We'll have physical bodies and we'll still have this spirit that we have here. We'll be like what we are, only much better. That's what chapter 15 talks about. So, now Jesus has taken this to the second error of the Sadducees. The first one is about the present age versus the second age or resurrection age. And and then He gets to the heart of the matter. Because they believe in what? The books of the law. That's it. And so, oh, oh, the sons of the resurrection. I didn't get to that. Sons of the res- like angels. They're sons of God. Being sons of the resurrection. That means they all resurrect. Okay, next verse. But that the dead are raised. And that's right. He said it. Uh-huh. Oh, amongst those guys, sometimes you need to be quiet. You know what? I like it when our president just goes right to the heart of the matter rather than... kind of floating back off of the issue of what is hand because he's afraid he's going to offend the other party. He just says it and you go, wow, he actually said it. (laughs) Like he's the first president ever really to be in the march for life. It's true. No president has ever made the remarks that he's had about pro-life and he's made it just as positive as can be. You guys know that? I mean, and you go, oh boy, he's going to get in trouble now. And then you, you know, at the at the State of the Union, you see all those the Democrats on the other side, and especially the ladies dressed up in white, and they have their little abortion pin there, and they're going, oh, with a sour look, going like that. Absolute no respect for the office. How did I get into that? Well, because Jesus, so I'm not comparing man to Jesus, but you know, truth has to be gotten out. And when it is, it shows what is true and what is not. I praise the Lord. Because we saw this last week. A lot of truths are coming out. Whether people want to recognize it or not, and they probably never ever will. The thing is, it's there. Truth reigns. Ultimately, 
will not have man governing. We'll have Jesus Christ on the throne in a perfect government. We have about as good as we can get it here. But man is man. Man is sinful. He proves it all the time, doesn't he? You know what Jesus does here? The dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush. And you notice what Luke shows here? Yeah, he just doesn't say, well, Moses said. He says, you know, in the passage, it's almost as good as saying in Exodus chapter 6 or chapter 3, verse 6, he says, where, you know, the burning bush. Do, does any Jew know about that? Oh, yeah. Does the Sadducees know that? Oh, yes, they do. Who was speaking to Moses at the burning bush? Everybody knows the story, right? That is God. That's the I am. What does he say? I am. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's your history. That's your lineage. These are the Jews. That's where they came from. And he said, I am the God of Abraham. By the way, you'll see that in Exodus. You'll see that reported in our Matthew passage and such here. Exodus 3.6. This is exactly where Jesus took it from. Do they believe in the books of the law? Yes, they do. And He goes right at them. Because i got a feeling the Pharisees have been trying to use the prophets and Psalms and other places about the resurrection and that to them doesn't mean anything. As far as they're concerned, that's tradition. Show it to me in our Bible. Basically, well, Jesus does. Verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up when the Lord... uh, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God is here. And He says, I am. Might as well say, Yahweh. It means the self-existent One. Or the Eternal One. I am, right now, the God of Isaac and the God of... um, Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am. If they're dead... He would say, I was. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's not I am. I am still their God because they are living. They're living. They're living. He just quoted out of their law. Out of their five books. Out of five books He quotes from and He tells them, you remember that? They are alive. They are now immortal. They're waiting for a resurrection body. He doesn't say that, but that's really what's happening. But they're alive. If God spoke to dead men, what's the issue here? You know, Dead men who are alive? Yeah, they were dead. Their bodies died, but their spirits went on to be with the Lord. This implies that men live again. 
It implies that they would rise from the dead. And of course, Isaiah 26, 19, I know it's really... um, We're right at the end, folks. It says 60 minutes. But we got to look at Isaiah 26, 19. We're not in that much of a hurry, are we? It'll just rain if we got there. Anyway, we're right at the end. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Now, granted, this is not the law now, right? This is the prophets. But this is the Word of God that we accept what Jesus accepted. He didn't go to this passage. He could have. But He went to right where they were at. Which meant that they couldn't answer back. He used their book, which is really His book. (laughs) 26.19, what does it say? You probably read it. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, the bodies went to the dust, Awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to departed spirits. The spirits depart, go to be with the Lord, still alive. The bodies go into the ground. They're dead, but out of that ground will come a new body and will meet the spirit in the air someday. Ah! 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I tell you a mystery, right? Those passages. Well, that's Old Testament references and I could go to Job and talk about that. I can go to the Psalms. We can go on and on and on and on and on about the resurrection of the dead. And we've seen it where Moses believes in the resurrection of the dead. Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead. you remember that? He was ready to kill his son. His only son. Sacrifice. But God provided the sacrifice. God showed that Abraham believed that, okay, if I kill him, he'll come back to life. Because the promise has to go through him. Abraham, Isaac, right? Jacob, now that line. So therefore, he has to come back to life. Hebrews 11 then talks about that. If you want to read that for later on today, verse 17 through 19. Or Genesis 22, which talks about that section. I would have gone there, but we are at the end here, and we we go to back to Luke, our verse 39 and 40, and it's absolutely astonishing what he has just done. Brilliant! Nobody's been able to do what he just did, and he's been doing that all week in the temple. There's really about only one more question that's going to be asked. We'll come to the, uh, you know, I think it's recorded in elsewhere that uh, one lawyer asked him what's the greatest commandment. And after that, nobody really asked those kind of questions, at least by them anymore. There are going to be trials that are going to come up. But these are the kind of questions that he's hit with, and he answers perfectly. And every time they go, <laughs> Some of the scribes, verse 39, answered and said, Teacher, great rabbi that you are, you have spoken well. Do you think the scribes believed in resurrection already? Do you think the Pharisees probably could have been 
agreeing with that too? Everything that Jesus just said? Yeah. <laughs> they're all agreeing. They're going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As they're standing behind the Sadducees who they never could answer and all of a sudden, well said. Wow. Uh, the crowd all around in the colonnades, the porticos, and they're hearing this. And you know what? It says in Matthew 22, 33, I like what Matthew records here. When the crowds heard this, when he said, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am. He's the God of the living. They're living. And when they heard this, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at His teaching. You know what the word is for that? To strike one's wits. Matter of fact, in our vernacular, and I can't think of anything better than this, and it probably came out of the 70s, they were blown away. I use that all the time, but that's what this word means. To strike one's wits. To blow them out of their mind. That's what he just did. They go, wow. Now we, we, we're going, yeah, we know all this. What's the big deal about it? They're going, this is, this is what we believe. This, I mean, this is it, yes. Teacher, you've spoken well. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. The Sadducees are going. And they have no more questions. That they gave their best shot. They thought it was automatic. We gonna put him down. Jesus just gives something that is totally astonishing. Jesus shows the Pharisees that they don't understand the scriptures. And remember in, in Mark, that's exactly what said. The, as far as the Sadducees are concerned, they didn't understand the Scriptures. The lawyers didn't understand the Scriptures. They don't know it. The Sadducees are done. They have no courage. What, what else can we do? We have nothing. We blew it all. The resurrection is of the dead is crucial to the Gospel. Jesus just hit the heart of the matter, which will be happening in a few days now. At that, in that Passion Week. It's something like, some people say this was probably Wednesday when this happened. Within a couple days He'll die. Third day He'll rise again, right? If we believe in the resurrection of the dead, you know what it does for us? It gives us certainty of future life and we can say it without a doubt and all those doubters can say what they want, say all the... Per- stupid things about afterlife and we say here's what God's Word says. And you know, you'd like to dig out some traditions and stuff like that you know, that they could... Listen, all you need to be equipped with is the Word of God. Here's what God says. And if they just poo-poo that and they make fun of that, well that's their problem. You just gave them truth and if they walk off flabbergasted by such a stupid answer as the Word of God... This is not foolishness. 
It is the truth. But to the world, it's absolute foolishness, folks. And what we believe in and what we trust in and our, our whole future is relying upon what this is. This is all we got. And it's a lot. It's more than we can even understand. But we've got enough here to be able to say, man, I'm glad God has revealed this to me. Because your puny little mind could not come up with this kind of thing. And obviously, mankind has tried to do it with all sorts of reincarnations and you know, saying such things about you know, whatever the afterlife is. And we look at it very differently than anybody else in the world. I mean, as far as Christians and true believers. Lay up your treasures in heaven. It's all worth it, folks. Even though sometimes we don't get to get in all that fun, which to me is not fun. <laughs> all that they're offering, the, the gusto of the life. Not this is the, gusto. the gusto is here. The joy is here. And you can count on it. If you live obediently to the commands of God because He's put it into you, you know what you do? You cling to the promises. And because of the promises, you want to serve Him. It's not because I want to be good enough so I can make it to heaven. As long as I'm good enough, that's all the other religions are saying. This is saying, you know what? He gives the promises. You trust in them. You can't wait to serve our Lord and Savior. And it's all about the resurrection. And it is the resurrection of the dead and to eternal life because... We've just gotten a message from the resurrection and the life, Jesus Himself. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged. Father, what a great holy God You are. What a message that You gave in Your answer. It hit right at the heart of the matter. And I'm sure there were people affected by that. Probably some people believed in the resurrection maybe a few days later. A few weeks later. We don't know who they are. Some of them probably became part of the church because the heart of our message is that Jesus rose from the dead after He died for our sins. He proved who He was by raising from the dead in a body. And we too, because of that, will be fruits that follow the first fruits we have absolute guarantee of resurrection and life with Christ forever, eternal life. In your Son's name, Father, by your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.